There are essentially two passages in the New Testament that summarize God's call to us as Christians. Both passages are very well known. They refer to as the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. We're going to read both of those, starting with the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Then we come to the great commandment, Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. An expert in the law tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, says... A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission makes for a great church. And it's true. It really is true. But I want us to understand that these words are not just for the corporate body. These words in scripture, they're for you as an individual as well. It's not that you can say, I know there's a committee somewhere doing something about making disciples. And I'm not on that committee, so it doesn't involve me. No. We're all on that committee. The Great Commission is to every single follower of Christ. It's not something that we can just say, somebody else is doing, and so I, you know, I don't need to bother. If you are a Christian, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, they're for you personally, as well as for us corporately. So let me just make some general points about the Great Commandment. An expert in law asked Jesus... What is the greatest commandments? And in the context of Judaism in the day, this would not be an unusual or unexpected question. The different schools of the rabbis would debate this. Asking questions of scripture, debating scripture, was the key way that they learned. This would not be unusual at all. The first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through to Deuteronomy, were known as the law, the Torah. And within these five books... There are 613 commandments. So there is this ongoing discussion as to which are the most important. We know we should keep them all. But which are the really, really important ones? Which, which, how would you rate them? One, two, three, four, five. Which are the most important commandments? And in his answer, Jesus quotes the Torah. He quotes from the first five books. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Listen, nobody in the crowd is shocked that Jesus has picked that as the greatest commandment. It's absolutely what they expected him to say. These words are very special, very precious to every devoted Jew. They are referred to as the Shema. I think it's spelled like Shema, but I think it's pronounced Shema. And even to this day... Devoted Jews recite those words twice every day. This, says Jesus, 
is the greatest of all the commandments. To love God with everything you have. Then Jesus picks out another commandment from the law. Now he quotes Leviticus 19 verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, this is the second and greatest commandment. Love your neighbor. And again, nobody in the crowd is surprised or shocked or saying, we wouldn't have picked that one. That's not going on in this discussion. What would have surprised the crowd, and maybe we'll pick up on this next week, is in another one of the Gospels where someone says, where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and someone says, well, who is my neighbor? Now Jesus' answer to that question would have stirred up something. When he picks the Samaritan as the hero, he does not do what they expect, and that's just a little teaser for next week, all right? So you'll come back. So Jesus says, look, the whole of the law, all 613 commandments are summed up by these two. Jesus says it all comes down to love God, love your neighbor. This truth became central to the New Testament church. If you went to the New Testament Jerusalem church, if they had membership, and if you asked to join, and if you asked to see their foundational doctrine, these would be on it. Love God, love your neighbor. It became central. The apostles taught it. It was passed on. It became part of the church. So much so that the apostle Paul had got it. Romans 13, 8 to 10. Listen how he echoes the words of Jesus. Let no debt remain outstanding. except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. It's just what Jesus said. Paul goes on to say, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself, because love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So the great commandment, love God, love your neighbor, and the great commission Make disciples. These three things give us a framework to live our entire lives by. So if you wanted to do a self-assessment, you could ask yourself the question, how am I doing with the love God bit? Is there anything getting in the way of my love for God? Is there any area of my life where I am resisting Him at the moment? Where I know what the truth is, and I know what His Word says, but I'm resisting because I want to do this. How is it for you in loving God? Because to love God is to obey Him. To do what He says. Or maybe, how are we doing in the love our neighbour piece at the moment? Loving our neighbour is not literally about the people who live next door. They are included. But it's about anybody and everybody we meet. It's the people we love easily and the people we struggle with. It's the people who agree with us and the people who disagree with us. How do we love in that context? How are we doing And then when it comes to making disciples, is it even on your radar? Does it ever enter your head? Are you ever intentional about helping people on a journey to becoming a disciple of Jesus? Is it even there for you? So over the next two weeks, we're going to explore what it means to love God, uh, maybe dip into love our neighbour, and also what it means to make disciples. So this week... I want to focus on what it means to make disciples. In the text of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 
there are three things connected to making disciples. If you read the text, it says go. There is a going, there's a baptizing, and there's a teaching. Going, baptizing, teaching. And I want to focus on the going piece because of the season of outreach we're coming into. But let me just mention the baptizing and teaching bits. The journey that people are on by God's grace comes to a point of decision. It did for you. You were on a journey. Maybe your family were in the faith and you followed them. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe you didn't know anybody, but people came into your life. Maybe you went to an event, whatever it was. But you were on a journey, but it came to a point of decision. Now, some people can remember where they were, who was preaching, the time that the clock was on when they made a commitment to Christ. Other people can't pinpoint it quite that easily, but they know they've they've moved out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. They are followers of Christ. And that journey that people on by God's grace, coming to that point of decision, a point that Jesus says is to be marked by water baptism. It is clear that baptism was important to Jesus. Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but he was baptized as an example to you and I in a way of identifying with humanity, submitting himself to water baptism. Water baptism seals the decision made. Water baptism was a public act, a drama, a statement, an affirmation. Going under the water, symbolizing death. I'm dying to the old life. And as I go under the water, that's what it symbolizes. Death to the old life. Death to living my way. And then rising up out of the water, symbolizing resurrection. Rising to a new life. Rising with Jesus as Lord. The old has gone. Now the new has come. Jesus commands us, make disciples of all nations. And at some point in that process comes water baptism. You may be a follower of Jesus. You may have made a decision to repent of your sins and make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And you may know the exact moment you did it and you may not remember the exact moment. But you know that right now you are a follower of Christ. But it may be you've never been baptized in water. We have a baptismal service the last Sunday in November. It would be wonderful to be able to baptize you and include you. May I encourage you to follow Jesus even in this and get baptized. And there are cards available at the information desk. If you fill in the baptismal card, hand it back in, we will do the rest. The Great Commission, Jesus says, make disciples, baptize them. And then he says, teach them. Teach them everything I've commanded you. In other words, teach them my word. He had the disciples, the 12 disciples, he had them with them and he showed them his lifestyle. He, he lived as an example. He taught them. And Jesus said, look, you know how I lived. You know my values. You know my word. You heard me in the Sermon on the Mount. You got it all. Now, make disciples baptize them but teach them everything teach them everything that i've commanded you in other words teach them my word when a person becomes a follower of jesus it's just the beginning the greek word translated disciple means learner and the truth is that as followers of jesus we're learners we never ever stop learning we never stop growing 
Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of the mind is a process. Renewed thinking takes time. Hard settled in attitudes don't always shift straight away. It takes time. Sometimes we're not even aware of some of the things in our lives that need dealing with. And we grow as we read God's word and as we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. The word and the spirit go together. We should never, ever try to separate them. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13, it says, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And Jesus said, my word is truth. And part of the job description or the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide us as we read the word. It's to help the word make sense to us. It's to, it's to shine God's word on our hearts and on our lives. And the Holy Spirit has a way of taking God's word and penetrating our hearts. Penetrating our thinking and our attitudes. The Holy Spirit can bring moments of insight where we see ourselves in a way we had not seen before. And we have that moment of insight and we see it. And God's word shines and the Holy Spirit enlivens it. And in that encounter, he facilitates change. It is good practice before we read any portion of the Bible to pray a simple prayer. Just asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate, to speak to us what God wants to say as we read. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And as we read God's word, as we get into God's word, there are these moments, you will have experienced them as I have, these moments where something suddenly hits you in a way it never did before and the Holy Spirit uses it to give you insight whereby you can begin to change. It is vital utterly vital that as a disciple of Jesus you get into the word of God now let's be honest not every book in the Bible is exciting reading now Leviticus is not the most exciting book in the world you will ever read neither is 1 and 2 Chronicles for that matter but it's a, it's a little bit like mining for gold you know you sift and you sift and you sift you don't always find gold but the day you don't go sifting somebody does and so on a daily basis, if we can, even just reading a few verses, even in Leviticus, you know God can speak to you through the passages in Leviticus. And he can speak to you through passages in 1 and 2 Chronicles. He can speak to you through lamentations. Those of you who are going through desperate, struggling times at the moment, get yourself a coffee, open your Bible at Lamentations chapter 3, and read Lamentations chapter 3. And the Spirit of God will minister something into your soul. It is vital that we get into the Word of God. And there's two practical ways we can help you with that. We run the New Life Group. It's been running for donkey years. Pastor Curry wrote the material. We're still using most of his material. It's been running donkey years. It's a brilliant course. Eight-week course. It runs during this service, during the 11.15 Okay, it starts, I think the next one is September the 15th. It's a foundational course. Okay, it's, it's Christian foundations. And maybe you never did a foundations course. Maybe you did Alpha, 
you became a Christian, but you never really did a foundations course. Well, it's designed just for you. And maybe it might just help you to sign up for the next new life group and do the foundations course, which teaches on water baptism and the Holy Spirit and identity and the word of God. Well, if that's you, go sign up for it. And then there is this word and spirit Bible school that we're trialing, this eight-week module. And if it goes well, maybe we'll do other modules. But this is a way of actually getting into the word. You will put yourself out for the things that matter. Eight Thursday evenings is nothing if it really matters. And so I want to encourage you, get into the Word of God. And if you do that Word and Spirit Bible school, you will engage with the Word and the Spirit, you will learn something you can apply to life, and you will meet some new people and possibly make some new friends. And you can sign up for that at the information desk. That brings me to the going. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, but there has to be a going. The go is not necessarily a call to leave your job and join a missionary organization. For some people it will mean that. But for the vast majority of us, the go simply means as we go about our everyday lives, make disciples. Make sure it's on your agenda. Jesus doesn't put this forward as an option, it is a command. And while we are not all evangelists and we're not all called to go to another land as missionaries, we are all witnesses, every single one of us. Making disciples does not mean we force people into faith. We have the example of Jesus. Jesus never did that. We don't force people. We don't need to trick people. We don't need to be cleverer than people because the Holy Spirit is bigger than all of that. We don't need to be all of that stuff. Jesus shows us at least Two ways that he approached this. Number one, Jesus loved people. Romans 5 says he demonstrated this by laying down his life. It was love that brought Jesus to where you were, to where I was. It was love, not a judgmental attitude, that brought Jesus into your darkness. No, it was in love. That he came right to where we were. And loving people is absolutely key to helping them on a journey of coming to faith. Loving people has to be genuine. It's not, I'll love you if you come to the wrestling event. Or I'll love you if you become a Christian. No, that is not biblical love. We have to love people the same way God loves us. And God's love is unconditional, no strings attached. I love you because God commands me to love you. And the love of Christ compels me. And it doesn't matter if you never come to an event. If you never come to Christ, be sad for me. But I will love you anyway. And I'm on a journey with some guys through the, through the golfing who've never been to an event. And I've asked them times over. Never yet come to Christ. Some of them not a flicker. But I'll love them anyway, and I'll keep praying for them. It's absolutely essential to love people. The second thing we see from Jesus is he mixed with people who are far from God. It caused a stir. Sometimes Jesus mixed with people that was a surprise for others. Jesus mixed with people who are far from God. The Pharisees called Jesus friend of sinners. Now, he was not a friend of sin. Of course he wasn't a friend of sin, we know that. But he was a friend of sinners. Jesus didn't reject the title. 
He seemed comfortable with the idea that they would mock him in this way. He was a friend of sinners. Jesus went to their homes. He ate with them. You can do that. When Matthew becomes a follower of Jesus, one of the first things he did was to throw a party. Can you throw a party? Can you throw a really good party? Well, that's the first thing Matthew did. He threw a party at his house. Matthew 9 verse 10 says, Many tax collectors and sinners came and Jesus had dinner with them. What a guest room that is. Verse 11 tells us, The Pharisees asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus hears what they're saying and he says this, my paraphrase, These are exactly the kind of people I need to be with. This is why I came. People who need to hear the message of God's love and grace and forgiveness. Notice, if you read that story in Matthew, a lot of the people at this party were Matthew's work colleagues. Matthew was a tax collector. And the text says many tax collectors came to the dinner. It was the most natural thing in the world for Matthew to put on some food and open his home and invite his workmates. You can do that. You're not an evangelist. You don't have to be an evangelist, but you can do that. Making disciples is about, as we go about our everyday lives, it's about loving people. It's about building relationships, being genuine with people. It's about eating food together. Going for a coffee, listening, having chats about anything and nothing. And in that mix, to be open to the Holy Spirit. To God moments which come. To those questions that come. To opportunities to offer prayer. To opportunities perhaps to invite to Alpha or an event here at the church. I love it that so many people are now using the cafe I, I talked to a guy the other day who put the golf course and he says, I'm retired. I says, hey, the second they say they're retired, I say, hey, come and have a coffee with me at our cafe. You see, because just first step, get them over the threshold. Get them where they know where the building is. Get them in the vicinity. We prayer walked 15 months around this place. Many of us here remember those days. Round the perimeter. We prayer walked before this building was built and we prayed when people walk on this site, may they walk on this site and feel the presence of God in Jesus' name. We prayed when people walk through the site as a shortcut to get to the hospital, by the time they get there, maybe they be healed in the name of Jesus. We prayed these prayers, we meant these prayers, we keep praying these prayers. Maybe a first step is get them to the cafe and treat them to a coffee pastors we walk through here i have about 52 coffees a day i'm in and out there so i'll say hello to them you know we we befriend people we we're genuine with people now back in the 70s a man called james engel came up with a very helpful way of looking at evangelism he put something together a scale it became called the engel scale and there are loads of variations of this scale and and it helps me and the one that helps me goes from people being in a a place where they are really cold toward God to a place where they're really warm toward God, and then eventually to faith. For many people, this journey takes years. Absolutely years. It maybe did for you. Maybe your first encounter with Christians was to think they're crazy. I've heard people say that in their story. And, And years of journeying for some people. And maybe your interaction with them, maybe your 
maybe you only ever meet them once. Maybe you build a relationship with them. Maybe your interaction just moves them a degree or two. So the scale goes from minus 15 to zero. So at minus 15, a person is absolutely frozen toward the things of God. Solid frozen. Frozen to faith, frozen to the church, frozen to prayer. Don't ask them because they'll bite your head off. That's minus 15. Anybody know a minus 15 person? Some? I pray you all know lots of minus 15 people. Because it is amazing what God can do in their lives. Amazing when they meet someone like you. Someone who carries the fragrance of Christ. Someone who loves in a way that they've not experienced and they can't work it out and they can't put the finger on it and the Spirit of God uses that to thaw them out. Maybe through your prayers and your interacting, you begin to thaw them out to minus 14, minus 13. Well done. Fantastic. Maybe they'll meet other Christians. Maybe through life circumstances, God will continue to work on them. Four weeks ago, I was down to play golf with three other guys. Uh, you know I'm a golfer and a member of a golf club and uh, it's, it's just great to mix with a bunch of these guys. So I was down, somebody put my name down in a slot with three other guys. Two of them I'd never played with before, though I knew them from a distance. One of them is quite a character with a bit of a reputation around the club. And I confess, I've kind of kept him a little bit at a distance. I've not gone out of my way to connect with him. He is a solid minus 15 going on minus 20. He, he really is solid. He's, that's where he is. And when I turned up the club, he was stood with a bunch of the other guys. And what you need to understand is this is a very high banter context. Very high banter context. Generally good-natured. Uh, no offence is ever taken, even if some is probably intended. Um, that's the context when you're with this bunch of guys, and some of you know what that's like. So some of the guys say to me as I approach the club, can't believe you're playing with him. This is the best of the club meets the worst of the club. They're saying it like a Rocky film. <laughs> and, and this guy, as they say this, he's laughing and rubbing his hands as he sees me coming towards him. So we go off to the tee. One of the peculiarities of golfers, you just need to understand, is some of them like to mark their golf ball so that if it gets lost, they can identify it. It's all in the rules. It's very boring. Hey. So on the tee, this guy takes out a marker pen and he says in front of everybody, Steve, I want you to know I'm marking this ball six, six, six. <laughs> so they're all laughing and joking. So I say, in a flash of lightning, came, I said, can I borrow your pen? He says, yes, you can. Why? I says, well, I'm going to mark my ball with a cross because the cross defeats 666 every day of the week. And the rest of the guys are giving him this. See people across the course, see him, and they're going... It was an interesting round of golf. By the end of the round, something had definitely shifted. I am humble to say my attitude had shifted toward that man. It had been in the wrong place. We can get it wrong with people sometimes, you know. We can. 
My attitude shifted. His attitude shifted. By God's grace, he was possibly now a solid minus 14. Maybe thawed out a bit. And maybe God will bring other Christians into his life who will help him along more. And maybe by God's grace the day will come when he will come to faith. And maybe he will use his marker pen to put six, uh, not six, 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 to put the cross on his ball in Jesus' name. A couple of months ago, after a round of golf, I was sat in the clubhouse with a bunch of guys I've played with for years. One or two have been to different events. And I have a good relationship with them. And out of the blue, one of the guys says, Oh, Steve, we've had the strangest goings on in our house. We're hearing things, and it's not the pipes. We've checked it out. We're not silly people. We know it's not the heating. It's not the wind. It's not... Something's got... And it's freaked us out. I mean, it's really spooky. And they're hearing this stuff, and, and all these guys are sat there listening. I'm thinking, they're going to think this guy's crazy. And he says, what do you think? Well, before I could say anything, every single guy in that circle told a story of experiencing something spiritual that they could not explain. And you think people are in one place, and when you engage, you can find out that God's already ahead of you, and he's stirring, and he's doing something, and they're in a different place to what you thought. Sometimes people are not as minus of 15 as you might think they are. I was like a kid in a sweet factory. I mean, they said, what do you think? What an opportunity. And when we connect, and when we love, and when we get alongside, and when we have those coffees, and when we have those chats, when we do all that thing, the Holy Spirit creates these opportunities, and people step closer in faith to Him. I need to come to a close. In this whole process of making disciples, a verse I've brought to you many, many times, and will continue to do so, is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, where Paul says... I planted seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. This is just so helpful because it describes a process and tells us we do have a part to play. We can plant seed, we can water that seed. And planting seed might be through loving people, relating to people, acts of kindness, opportunities to share the gospel. And I know in context that's what the seed is. Watering seed might be through praying for people or inviting them to an event. We can do these things, but what we can't do is make that seed grow. We can't do that bit. We can't save people. We can't make a decision for people. I sometimes wish we could. We can't. We can only do what we can do. I can plant seed and water seed. Then I have to do what is sometimes the hardest thing of all. I have to trust God with the results. I have to trust my friends to God. I have to trust my family that are not walking with him at the moment. With him. I can plant seed. I can love them. I can have coffees all day. I can do all that. I can invite to events. And I will do that with everything in me. And I will pray for them. But in the end, I will trust the results to him. We must not take on pressure that is not ours to bear. Jesus tells us, Go! Make disciples. And then right at the end of the passage he says, and I will be with you. I will be with you. When Jesus walked on earth, he said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why I'm here. And still today, his heart beats for the lost. He still seeks and saves them. Except he's not walking our streets today. 
but you are. Jesus is not in your office, but you are. Jesus is not in that management place, but you are. Jesus is not working in that retail unit or in that hospital or in that care home or he's not in that leisure place, but you are. Today, he walks this planet with our hands and our feet. Jesus is still seeking to save lost and he does it through you and me. Who can you invite to one of these outreach events? Don't just think somebody else will do it. What about you feeling your heart beat a little faster? What about you stepping into the adventure? It is an adventure. It's a partnership with Jesus and the Spirit. And when you step into the adventure, you discover Jesus is ahead of you. The Spirit's already with you. Bump into him. When you walk into areas and arenas that you dread, as you walk in, you find he is with you and he's gone before you. Who might you invite? What if they say no? Who cares? What if they say yes and don't turn up? Who cares? Who might you invite along? We leave this place this morning as ambassadors of the king. A people who are on his majesty's service. And this is not mission impossible because with God, all things are possible. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to love God with everything you've got, to love people, to make disciples. And I pray that as you go, the love of God will compel you and the power of God will sustain you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you and God bless you. Let's stand together, friends. Let's stand together.